You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. Well, it's time. When I say that, what do you think I'm talking about? Uh, When you say it's time, is it time for the second coming of Jesus Christ? A lot of people are looking at the signs of the times. As I'm watching world events fold together, this has been going on for a number of years now, but it looks like, who knows, it could be any moment. But, you know, that's been true for, for as long as Jesus had walked the face of this earth and then left us. It could have been at any moment. That's not new. But you also look at that phrase, it's time. <clears throat> Is it time for the end to us having to stay at home? Well, not yet, but hopefully soon. Or, you know, you sometimes think it's time. And uh, maybe a, a wife will say that to her husband because uh, her water's just broke or she starts to feel the contractions and the baby is coming after a nine-month wait. Have you ever lived through those, those anticipated moments, something you're looking forward to, you can't wait for it to come? I am truly looking forward to the time when we can gather back together and worship together. And when that happens, when we can do so safely, I want us to have a wonderful time of worship uh, I, I'm going to be talking to Dennis about what we can do to have some, some extra special music on that day. No ordinary music, just special music. And then also, I would love for us to, when it's safe, when we can do so safely, to just have a, a worship service and a fellowship together. Maybe that'll be that first Sunday back. But it's time. When is it coming? That anticipated moment when you're expecting something great to occur. You know, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people of that time were thinking, it's time. It is time. The Messiah has come. And they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we may not fully understand that statement, but they understood that statement to mean that the Messiah was arriving in Jerusalem. And so they're thinking about it. But you know something? Until that time for our coming of Christ, when Jesus returns, we've got work to do. You and I, all of us, have work to do. We all have a responsibility to carry out the gospel, to build the kingdom, to change hearts and lives by the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we've got work to do. And during this time, it seems really hard to carry out that work as we're isolating from one another and separating from each other. It seems extremely difficult to serve and to minister to people. We're used to finding ways to do that face to face. But I want you to know it doesn't end just because of the coronavirus. We still have that responsibility no matter what situation we face, no matter what the the current setting that we're in is like. And I want us to think about that. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And uh, we're going to look at verses 23 through 26. And in this, it seems to me that Jesus is, is talking about three ways for us to serve the Lord. John chapter 12, verses 23 through 26. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And I hope you'll gather around a copy of God's Word or turn it on on your phone or your tablet or whatever it is that you use to read God's Word 
And you'll listen to these words. It says, Jesus replied to them. Now, who's the them here? This is a group of Greeks that were brought to Jesus. And uh, we're not sure whether it was because they were Greeks. That little detail is thrown in there. And it makes you wonder, why did John include that little detail? Uh, but we're not for, for sure why. But the fact is that this group of people was brought to Jesus. It seems to me that he's been having conflict with all of the other folks in the area and uh, the, the people of, of his own faith weren't fully accepting him. And so maybe this idea that it was Greeks brought to Jesus, that he's saying, you know what, it's time for us to serve and to go. But I, I don't know the whole reason for it. But he says this to them in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly. And by the way, in the original language, there's two of those words. I don't know why they only put one here, but it's actually truly, truly, I tell you. And that's meant to be an emphasis. Hey, listen to this. This is really important. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Now in verse 25, the one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, in verse 26, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. As we look at that, we begin, we see this parable of a wheat grain, a grain of wheat. It's sometimes debated by people who don't fully trust and believe in the power and the inerrancy of the Word of God like I do. But they talk about this, well, you know, grain don't really die. That's, that's wrong. It's not scientifically accurate. But, you know, for a first century person in Israel, they would have seen it that way because the grain will fall off the plant. To me, that sounds like it, it's dying. And while, yeah, technically there's still a, a little life in it because it's going to plant itself and then grow. And, and so, you know, it's silly for us to, to get over, uh, to quibble over the little details like that. There's different ways you can interpret it. Jesus might be saying, you know, unless it dies, unless it is buried. I kind of like this one because Jesus himself will be buried. And he's saying, unless that grain is buried in the soil, then it's all by itself and doesn't have any real value or usefulness. But once it's buried, in other words, dies from the perspective of a non-scientific first century person, then you could say, yes, that's what he's talking about. It will then grow and bear fruit. Another way is to think about, you know, when the grain falls from the plant and dies. Or you could see it like this. Some say that he meant that, you know, the grain uh, eventually when it sprouts and becomes a plant, the piece of grain itself is no longer present. Now you've got roots and then a stalk and then the things that come off the stalk that you can see that it's a, a, grain, a, a wheat uh, stalk. But it doesn't matter. What it, he's saying is unless that little piece of grain is buried or falls off the plant or ceases to exist, he's using it as an illustration. Unless we suffer and we can't be of service in a real significant way. Every act of service has a little bit of suffering, a little bit of sacrifice put in it. And he's bringing that out because he knows what he is about to face. It's in John chapter 12 that we see, uh, you know, in this time frame, in this 
point in his ministry. It's when he does enter into Jerusalem. He knows what's coming at the end of that week. And so we see three things. We, we jump down and he talks about in verse 25 that if, you don't, if you're not willing to give up your life, then you'll lose it in this earth and in the next, heaven. But if you're willing to sacrifice, then you will have eternal life. And the point I'm making by that, I think the point that Jesus is getting at is he knows what he's going to give up in order for us to have salvation. And he knows that if we are willing to serve, if we are willing to give up our lives for him, to, to leave everything behind, to deny ourselves and take up our cross and then follow after him, if we're not willing to do that, then we are not truly his disciples and we won't see eternal life. But for those who have chosen to follow Christ, to give their lives over to him, what he's saying is that it's time to serve the Lord. It's time for us to see that service. And so verse 26, which I want to focus on for the rest of this time, we see these three ways to serve the Lord. And the first one is serving Jesus means following Jesus. We see that in verse 26, the very beginning of it. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Serving Jesus means following Jesus. If you want to serve Jesus, you have to follow him. There is no choice. That's the, the key point, the key aspect of being a disciple of Jesus is following him, following his example. Well, how did Jesus serve people? If I was to put that out as a discussion question, what would you say? How do you think of Jesus as serving people? You know, one of the ways that we think about is the way he healed the sick. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just go into all the hospitals and lay hands on people right now and heal them? It could happen. Maybe it has happened and we haven't heard stories of it. But you know, God doesn't always have that as his plan. But he did many times in this day that he lived, that he walked, he had a purpose in order to teach a lesson about himself, about his glory, about his love, about his uh, kingdom, he would bring healing about on people's lives. Healing blind people and people who could not walk. He even brought people back to life. So what can we do to bring healing into people's lives? We serve people by offering them hope during their sickness and illness. Uh, we may not have the physical power to heal. We could pray that God would heal people. And so I want you to pray for people. I ask you to pray for the sick. I think that's one of the very biblical things that we're good at in churches is praying for the sick. But you know, he also taught people. It's important for us to not just see teaching the gospel as something the preacher does or the Sunday school teacher does. If you're a parent, you have a responsibility to teach your children the gospel, the word of God. Uh, forgiving them. <clears throat> Jesus was incredibly forgiving. And he said that he would forgive us as we forgive others. Are you a forgiving person? That's one of the true signs of having the spirit in your life. Jesus was willing to die for us. Are you willing to sacrifice for other people? And then rising from the dead. Now that's something I can't do and neither can you. No one of us could rise from the dead and follow Jesus in that example. But we could follow Jesus in trusting him to bring our soul back to life by asking forgiveness for our sins and committing to live for him. And so that's another way to serve him. 
It's not you rising yourself from the dead, but giving your heart to Jesus so that he can ensure that you will have a resurrection. And the idea of resurrection for Jesus was physically here on earth, but for us it's spiritually into heaven. And I look forward to that day. I hope you do too. We can follow Jesus. Do what you can to help other people, to bring healing into their life, to teach them the gospel, be a disciple maker, to be a forgiving person, uh, to put others ahead of yourself that you may not physically die, but you have sacrificed who you are and what you have for them. And then give your life to Jesus so that you can serve him. Serving Jesus means following Jesus' example. It's like follow the leader and he's the perfect leader. The second thing we see is serving Jesus means joining Jesus. <clears throat> Some of you maybe remember the Experiencing God study by Henry Blackaby. My son Michael has just rediscovered this and and been going through that on his own and with his girlfriend. And, and uh, the, he's just really loved it. We've talked a lot more about that recently in our household because of that. Experiencing God says this. Blackaby says this. He says, find where God's working and go join him. And that's what Jesus says here. In verse 26 again, let me read the, the verse to you. It says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. That's the first way. Secondly, where I am... There my servant also will be. We want to look for wherever God is working and jump in with both feet to serve him, to give ourselves to that person to help them grow in their faith. Our missionaries try to do this and you hear stories about them where they go and try to serve. Uh, our, our mission organization, the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board, they, they look around the globe and they see where, where God is already working and they try to, to follow behind that and put a lot of emphasis in those areas because they're following this principle. Uh, in your own life, you can see that. Where do you see somebody who's already open to the gospel? Well, take the opportunity. Look where Jesus is working in your life and take advantage of that moment. He's already working. Now it's our responsibility to do, to do what we can to work alongside him so that he can use us in those circumstances. Sometimes people will say, you know, the best strategy is to say, you know, oh, there's, there's already people working in that area. Let me go somewhere where, where nothing is happening. The problem is that's going against this principle. We want to work where God is already working. And when he's ready... In other places, he'll start working there too, and then we can join him there as well. Now, I know we should be a, a gospel witness everywhere we go with every person we see. Because you never know, maybe you will be the seed that's planted that grows into a flourishing faith in a person's life that then overflows into their family, their friends, a community, even a country. But if you're looking for where God wants you working now, find where he's already working in your life and the people around you. That's the second thing. The third thing we see is serving Jesus means glorifying Jesus. Now we see this in two places in this verse. In verse 25, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What hour is that specifically? What time is that specifically? Well, we don't know exact times, but in this moment, it was that moment. <laughs> Jesus knew that pretty soon he would be hung on a cross, that he would die for the sins of the world, that he would be buried in a grave, that he would descend into the lower parts of the earth, that he would 
preach to the prisoners in hell and that he would rise again and come back to life. And as a result of that, he would be honored and glorified. And when he returned to heaven, he would be put on a throne and all of heaven would rejoice over him. He said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. He was talking about what we are celebrating this week. This is the first day of what we call Holy Week because it's that week in which Jesus went into Jerusalem and did so many things to bring about that moment when they would crucify him. He is the center of faith for one-third of the world's population because of their faith. Think about it. But in reality, he is the central figure of the entire world's population and all of world history. How do you count time? What's the date today? Well, if I look at my watch, it says Sunday. It says April 5th. But what year? 2020. Why do we pick that date? Well, because they counted back to the time when Jesus was born. They got it a little bit off, maybe. <laughs> but that's not what's important. What's important is he is so significant that our very date is counted by the existence of the physical person of Jesus Christ, his incarnation. And so I want you to know something. God is, is uh, bringing his glory into the person of Jesus every single time you look at a calendar, every single day that you uh, live. Uh, people all over the world look to Jesus, even if they don't believe in him. I remember hearing about Gandhi. You know, he was uh, a Hindu. He said this, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Why did he say that? Because he was facing off against Christians uh, who were trying to subjugate the, the Indian people. They weren't acting necessarily as Christian as they could have because even though they called themselves Christian, they weren't perfectly Christian. But he looked at the figure, the character, the words of Jesus and was impressed. A lot of people feel like Jesus is a great teacher, an honorable person. But understand this, he's so much more. And eventually one day, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess, what? That Jesus is Lord. His honor is coming. And so what he says in the last part of verse 26 in this passage, look at it with me. It says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus doesn't just collect this glory all for himself. He now wants to share it with us. Those of us that he calls his joint heirs. What are joint heirs? We are the brothers and sisters. We have been adopted into the family of God by his grace and by our willingness to trust in him. And so the God of the universe, if you will serve him, will honor you. That's stunning. Tim Keller once wrote about sailing. He's a preacher and an author. And uh, he said that <clears throat> if you've ever seen sailing ships, you'll, you'll know what he's talking about. I remember waking up one morning in Kentucky, northern Kentucky. I was a summer youth minister in 1988 in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, which was right across the river from Cincinnati. And that summer, I stayed in the homes of these families. And one of the homes that I stayed in, it was a doctor and his family, and they had a house right on the river in a very beautiful and actually very affluent area of Fort Thomas. 
And so the bedroom that they had put me on in the basement, I literally got out of the bed and I would go and get my shower and then I'd walk out onto a porch that literally overlooked the river. And on this day, they had all these very tall sail ships, sailing ships that came down the Ohio River. And I was able to get a front row seat to this beautiful image. And he said, he talked about this. He said, you know, you can see sailboats and they're, sometimes they're, they're just kind of slowly floating along, sometimes just by the current of the water. But when they really let the wind get a hold of them, they can speed along on the river. He said, but not if they're not careful. The captain of that ship has to honor the design of the sailing vessel in order for that to happen, in order for them to really grasp that wind, and in order for them to really flow across that river. They have to know where the deep or shallow parts are, and they have to know how deep their boat goes into the water, and so they have to navigate perfectly through that, that range. He said they have to honor the design. And I like the way he phrased that. They have to honor the design. You and I have to honor the design of our lives, following after God and his will. And as we serve Jesus Christ, doing the things he's called us to do, then he will in turn honor us. This passage teaches it. How do we do that? Well, there's specific ways and only you can know specifically how you serve him. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall make your paths straight. If we were to paraphrase that using the idea of that sailing vessel, follow after God's plans and let him help you to flow through the river with success. He wants to do it. He has a purpose for your life. So how are you going to serve the Lord? I think about my uh, middle school teacher. He was also my basketball coach, Mr. Tim Moore. And I had a lot of respect for Mr. Moore. And in seventh grade, he began the year. I went to a Christian school and he began the year with a devotion about the parable of the talents of silver, where a master had three servants and he gave one servant five talents, two servants two uh, talents of silver to the second servant, and then that one last uh, talent of silver he gave to the third servant. And then he left and went on a journey. And those three servants did what they felt like they should do with it. When he came back, the first servant had doubled it, and the master was impressed with him. The second talent, uh, servant with the two talents, he doubled it with his shrewd investments, and the master was impressed with him. But the third one said, I'm, I was afraid of you because I know that you have a, a, a very strong personality. You, you really have a, a great uh, expectation of people. And I didn't want to lose it, so I just buried it in the ground. And so Mr. Moore would always talk to us. And whenever he felt like we weren't giving our best, whether it was in geography class or in science class or whether it was on the basketball court or the soccer pitch, he would always say, Behold, a master had three servants, and we knew what was coming. And we went, oh, not this story again. We heard it over, at least once a week, over and over again, all year long. At the end of the year, the yearbooks came out. And I pulled mine out and did like all the other students in that seventh grade class, handed it to Mr. Moore to get our teacher's autograph. And he signed it with this simple phrase, don't bury it, Tim Moore. 
And I remember that to this day because what he was saying is you give it your best. Take what God has given you. Use it for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Do your very best and he'll honor you. Don't bury it. How can you serve the Lord even in a time like this? Let me just call on 10 ideas that I've come up with. There are hundreds of ways that you can serve the Lord. Number one, call someone. Find out what they need. Ask them how you can pray for them. And then pray with them. Maybe even right there on the phone, but if not, later on after you've collected your list. Number two, share this service on Facebook so that maybe someone else can get the encouragement from God's word today. Number three, find a way to volunteer. There's been food distribution by our schools. Now, I know that currently they might be trying to limit that sum in some places, but call ahead and see if maybe you can take part. Give blood or plasma. You can help out in that way. Pray. We've already talked about that a little bit, but just pray every day. Pray for the health workers. Pray for doctors. Pray for the sick. Uh, pray for church leaders and your pastor. I covet your prayers. Pray for our nation's leaders. Uh, the sixth thing, you, you can give. Uh, of course, give your tithes and offerings. That's fine. But maybe there's other ways that you can give to help out. Groups like Samaritan's Purse or Baptist uh, Send Relief. Number seven, there's a program going on now called Operation Smile where you can do homemade cards. And uh, so maybe if you've got kids or grandkids at home, have them make a card. And then uh, if you want, we can get that to the associational office. They're collecting them right now in order to give to rest homes and to uh, uh, the Berkey Hospice. And so I, I suggest maybe you do that. As you take a walk, prayer walk your neighborhood. I know we want to be at a social responsible uh, uh, distance place from other people. Social distancing is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but pray for people. And as you see them, stand across the street from them and say hi, offer, offer some hope and encouragement. You know, maybe you've got a, an elderly person that doesn't need to be out during this time. Offer to shop for them. Get them the things that they need. Write a letter. And if you're not good at writing letters, maybe send an email or a text message just to encourage the people and to keep connected with one another. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening.